in such a time and an age where you have the internet, you have to be very, very careful what you read on the internet. You gotta prove these things. You gotta look at the source. You gotta understand what background that these people come from. I'm gonna share a tool with you today. This tool I have used since uh, June of 2001. There was, there is a gentleman, his name is Wayne Brindle, and he's formerly of the Liberty University. And he was a professor there. And he taught about how to examine scripture by testing scripture. And so I'd like to submit this test to you. And so he wrote, and he called this, Biblical evidence for the eminence of the rapture. And this was written in the Bible Lakia Sacra, which is Dallas Theological Seminary Journal, 158, number 630. And in the time frame of April to June of uh, 2001. And the section there is 138-51. And so he suggests that here's a test that we can use. That's used in a majority of Bible colleges and seminaries. And so he mentions this. Four criteria may be suggested, any one of which indicates eminence. That means at any moment, okay? So how do you know if you're dealing with a passage that deals with the eminency or not? And so he suggests these four criteria that we are going to look at. Number one, the passage speaks of Messiah Yeshua's return at any moment. Number two, the passage speaks of Messiah Yeshua's return as near, without stating any signs that must precede his coming. Number three, the passage speaks of Messiah Yeshua's return as something that gives believers hope and encouragement without indicating that believers will suffer tribulation. Number four, the passage speaks of Messiah Yeshua's return as giving hope without relating to God's judgment of unbelievers. And so now we're going to examine this verse, and that is 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. And it says this, And to wait for his son Yeshua, whom he raised from the dead, to appear from heaven and rescue us from the impending fury of God's judgment 
Many translations say the wrath of God's judgment. Okay? And so, now let us examine that scripture. Number three. The passage that just was read. Here. Excuse me, I've got to back up to number one. Well, the criteria of this here is now being satisfied in verse number 10. Number two. Number one, I'll read the, the, the portion of the test. The passage speaks of Messiah's return at any moment. So that does fit with that test of the criteria. Now going forward. Number two, the passage speaks of Messiah Yeshua's return as near without stating any signs that must precede his coming. That criteria here is also satisfied. Test number three, the passage speaks of Messiah Yeshua's return as something that gives believers hope. Number three, clearly the criteria here is satisfied in verse 10. In fact, going back to Yohanan, John chapter four, verses one through four. And let us read that. John chapter 14, verse one through four. Don't let your hearts be disturbed. Trust in God and trust in me. In my Father's house are many places to live. Some translations, it's, there are mansions. If it were not, I would have told you, because I'm going there to prepare a place for you. Since I'm going to prepare a place for you, I will return to take you with me, so that where I am, you may be also. Furthermore, you know where I'm going, and you know the way there. So, as we see that as Yeshua himself speaking, pertaining to this. So what did Yeshua say at the beginning? Don't let your hearts be troubled. This is a statement that would make no sense if they, the Thessalonians, had to go into certain prophetic signs first before the harpazo, the rapture, can occur. What did Rav Shaul say at the end of chapter 4? Which is the most in-depth harpazo rapture passage that we have in the Bred Hadeshah. Let's turn back now to 1 Thessalonians and chapter 4 and verse number 18. So encourage each other with these words. Back to the test number three. This passage speaks of Messiah's return as something that gives believers hope. Continuing here. But it does 
It does not say, therefore, you are to stay up all night on your electronic devices and worry about stuff that's going on in the world. No, 1 Thessalonians 4.18 is read, therefore, comfort one another with these words. So as Messianic believers, both Jews and Gentiles, you don't have to be paralyzed with fear over the events that are happening in the world because Yeshua can come back for us any second and rescue us from this earth. That's his promise to us. And that's what Rav Shaul is speaking directly to these Thessalonian believers who are babes in Messiah. Here we have the greatest prophet who is Yeshua, also God, our Redeemer and Savior laying this out for us. And years later, he's now speaking to his appointed and ordained apostle who would share this mystery with us about the harpazo rapture. Did Yeshua lie? No. Did Rav Shaul lie? No. They have told us the truth. So let us continue here. Because we can trust God's word for what it says. So, because Yeshua can come back for us any second and rescue us from this earth, the length to comfort would make no sense if the Bible, excuse me, if the bride, the church, Jews and Gentiles, one and Messiah, had to go through a series of prophetic signs first. So that is how you are dealing with the New Testament eminency of the rapture passage. Number four, let's look now at this test. The passage speaks of Messiah's return as giving hope without relating to God's judgment of unbelievers. Let's read that passage yet again. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. And to wait for his son Yeshua, whom he raised from the dead, to appear from heaven and rescue us from the impending wrath of God's judgment. Now, it mentions the wrath of God, but it doesn't tell where the wrath of God is going to be poured out upon whom. So it fits the criteria of the test. And I tell you, in Bible college, that's where you have debates. You're given tools of testing what the scripture says upon scripture. Who said it? Who were they speaking to? In the context, the time? Was it speaking, literally speaking to a people for such a time and that was the only time? Or was this for all believers from every generation yet to come? Who were told to hope and to wait? Because who's writing this word? But an apostle whose name is Rav Shaul, the apostle Paul. And he's telling those brand new believers that you are to wait for his appearing. How many believers today are waiting for his appearing? 
from generation to generation, there appears to be a smaller and smaller remnant that's doing so. Let us continue here. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And so, number four, the passage speaks of Yeshua's return as giving hope without relating to God's judgment of unbelievers. Does 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10, does it meet those four criteria? Absolutely. So, going forward here. Because Yeshua can come back for us at any second and rescue us from this earth. And so we can now are dealing with a New Testament scripture of the embassy at any moment, the rapture passage. And so criteria number four. So clearly, as you apply these four pieces of criteria in each criterion, it is satisfied there in verse number 10. And so continuing. So it is very easy to understand that there's a lot of acrimony, which is anger and bitterness and confusion out there. Why? Because there are many believers confused and angry and divided over this issue. There appears to be people who their whole goal in life, it seems to convince the bride of Yeshua that they're going in and through the tribulation. The mid-tribulations would say, you're going through the first half of the tribulation. The post-tribulations would say, you're going through all of it. And so, go ahead and comfort one another with these words. The pre-wrath, which is the third group, which is a terrible misleading name because they are three-quarter rapturists. They believe that, that the body of the Messiah will go through three-quarters of tribulation, then all of a sudden, the Lord will appear in the sky. They say you're going through 75% of the tribulation. The pre-tribulation, pre-tribulationist, pre-tribulation, which I believe Rav Shaul taught is the correct view. But you have to decide for yourselves. You are to know God's word and test it. Meditate upon it and allow it to speak to you clearly. So I tell you this, not all four camps can be correct. Continuing here. So you ask yourself, which one of these views teach the eminency, the en any moment. The mid-tribulation, three and a half years. The post-tribulation, after the tribulation. The pre-wrath, three-quarter through the tribulation. None of those three that I just mentioned. Only the pre-tribulation teaches eminency. And like I said, test it for yourselves. We're to know God's word and allow the Ruach, the spirit of the living God, to speak to ourselves. You know, we as believers, many times we're very lazy. We'll get a favorite teacher and we'll believe everything that comes out of their mouth is 
The Roman Catholic people say this word, ex cathedra, without error. We make mistakes. I'll say Elijah when I really mean Ezekiel. That happens. Okay? And so we are to test the scripture and find that it is true. Because we are to put our trust in God's word, in his word alone. His word is infallible without error. And those that were to write this word, the prophets in the Tanakh and the, the apostles in the Brit Hadashah did it without any error. They were not giving their own opinion. They gave literally what the word of God that was being delivered to them. And I say this to you, every man or woman that ever preaches and teaches God's word will one day have to give an account of whether they not taught his word truthfully. I have an awesome judgment that I'll be facing in the future. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So let us continue here. So when I talk to others about the differing view, I ask them a simple question. Can Yeshua return for us today? So Rav Shaul taught that Yeshua can come back today. So Yeshua can intervene in the life of his bride when the father says, now go and get your bride. You know, he's been gone for 2,000 years. He's not taking any drinks of the fruit of the vine. And he's been preparing a place for you and I. And for those who are coming day to day. You know, if there are people in Iran where if you share the good news, you can be put to death. So how is the Ruach speaking to them? Through visions and dreams. And you know what's beautiful? That when they get the word of God in their hands and they test that the vision or dream and it lines up with God's word, they receive it with grateful hearts. But if it's a dream or vision that's not from the Lord, they set it aside. We serve the God of the miraculous. But any vision or dream that you'd ever receive from the Lord, because we have an adversary who wants to mislead us and deceive us, if it does not line up with God's word, then we're not to have anything to do with it. How many of you have had silly dreams through your life? I have. Let's continue. So Rashaul taught that Yeshua can come back today. So Yeshua can intervene in the life of his bride when his father says, now go and get your bride. There is no prophetic sign yet to be fulfilled other than to his father turn to him and say, now go and get your bride. You think he's going to lie? He's been waiting 2,000 years to embrace you in his arms. Let's continue here. So that, that is why we see the language here, to wait for his son Yeshua from heaven. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. Notice 
It does not say to watch. It says to wait. Because you may be doing something and suddenly he'll take you. Are you waiting? Are you longing for his appearance? You know, in scripture it says this, that those who love his appearing shall receive a crown. Let's continue. Praise be unto God. It doesn't say to watch for his son Yeshua from heaven. It says to wait. So why aren't we watching? We're not watching because there isn't any sign that has to precede the rapture. You know what Rav Shaul believed in his day? He said that we who are alive, see, that was given to every generation. Because the scripture says, no one knows the day or the hour when Yeshua will come back for us. Only the Father knows. And later when I teach you about the Jewish wedding, you'll see greater significance of what I'm sharing with you today. But that's for another time. Praise be unto God. There isn't a sign that has to precede the rapture, the harpazo. I mean that, would, that we'd be watching for. If there are no signs to precede the rapture, it doesn't make sense, sense now to watch for signs. The Brit Hadashah, the New Testament, exhortation is to wait for his son from heaven. That's what it says here in this passage. This messes with a lot of ministry vision statements. You ever read them? They call themselves watchmen on the walls, right? You know, in the original, that's given to Israel. That they, are to, they assign watchmen on the walls so they could come and see the enemy coming from afar. I tell you this, your enemy, which isn't your fellow human beings, Hasatan, who is Satan, and his demons, they're all around us. And they're trying to mislead us to get us off the proven path that the Lord has placed us upon through deception and false teaching. You know what Rav Shaul said and the others said? That in the last days, and he believed it in his day, and he saw that, that there will be ravenous wolves coming among you within the body of Messiah. And they will be misleading as many as possible. And if it was significant then, you think Hasatan, his tricks, his schemes have not changed. And the scripture, if we meditate upon it, we will be able to identify the things of God and the things. And there are men and women with so much charisma and lying, lying words and signs and wonders And if you study history, they've been in every generation. Think of Moses when the musicians, magicians came and they threw down their staffs and they turned into snakes. I won't go deep in that illustration because I'll go in that direction too far. 
but there have been false prophets and false apostles. And Rav Shaul said, they will come out from among you and deceive and mislead. So we have to know God's word. We have to be able to test it. Let's continue. So the Brit Hadishah gave the exhortation to wait for his son from heaven. As I said earlier, this messes a lot with ministry vision statements, marquees that call themselves watchmen on the walls. The command to watch is never given to the bride of Yeshua. It is to wait. But Rabbi, you're injecting words, am I? What does the scripture say? To wait. You know, the bride, the Jewish bride, was to wait for her bridegroom. She did not know the day or the hour that he'd be coming for her. Let's continue here. Now, to Israel, there's a command to watch. In Matthew 24, 42, Yeshua is speaking directly to his Talmudim. You know what their question is? It's not what it's going to be like in the tribulation for your church. In the context of when that was written, they had no idea that Gentiles would be grafted into the commonwealth of Israel. So you know what people do? Augustine, Rabbi, don't say anything against Augustine. He allergized things. And he said that God is done with Israel. And now the church is the new Israel. And so when believers take what is written in Matthew chapter 24 and try to insert the church, the bride of Messiah, Jews and Gentiles and one of Messiah, they're taking it out of context. Because the Talmudim there are saying, because they recognize that he is the king. Weren't they a few weeks ago asking him? And they put one of their mothers to the task to walk up to Yeshua and say, ah, uh, would it be okay if my one son sat on your right and your, my other son sat on your left when you were coming to your kingdom? So they believed that the messianic reign was going to start at any moment. Here's a man who raises the dead, who walks on water, who heals the sick. And they thought this was going to take place. So Israel is told in Matthew 24, 42, to watch. And then what is laid out, he reveals to them a continuation which Daniel spoke of, of the last days when Israel will be going through that great tribulation, period. You know, no other nation in the world is promised salvation as a nation. Only one. That's the nation of Israel. 
But in Zechariah 12, it says this at two-thirds during that time because the majority of Jewish people in the land of Israel and those outside, when the anti-Messiah comes, they're going to believe that he is the one true Messiah. And they're going to be misled. So Yeshua is speaking to them directly. He encourages them that when the abomination that leads to desolation that is spoken by the prophet in the book of Daniel arise, you're to do what? You are to flee the city. Don't take your hat, your coat, just leave. And pray it's not during winter and pray that it's not on the Sabbath. Now let's try and fit the church in there. What day of the week do majority of people in the church worship the Lord? Is Sunday the Sabbath? No. So picture this, if you will. If the church is going through the great tribulation on this earth, okay, and Yeshua is speaking to the Jewish people that's going on in Israel, does that mean that you and I, if we're still here, we've got to jump on planes to go to Israel so we can flee to Petra? Absolutely not. And how about those who've died before? If the purification and the sanctification of the bride and Messiah is to be done through the great tribulation, and I've put this question to those who are these other three groups. I said, if God is God, then he needs to raise up all those believers from the founding of what happened in Acts chapter 2 up to that present day who are now sleeping in the grave, he must raise them from the dead so they can experience the great tribulation, so they can be sanctified. And they look at me. I said, go ahead. Try and fit the church in here when Yeshua is speaking directly to the Jewish people. And it goes on to say this, that one-third... Two-thirds will be annihilated by the anti-Messiah. And who will God arise at that time but the two witnesses? Why? Because the bride of Messiah, Jews and Gentiles, are not there. And what do they do? They convince the people of Israel that that Messiah that you're following right now, the anti-Messiah, is a false Messiah. Because later he's given the power to slay them. And were they celebrating the death of these two holy prophets of God? But in the city of Jerusalem. And who's rejoicing? The Jewish people who have the veil over their eyes. Oh, Rabbi, don't go down that path. That's what the scripture says. And then when the abomination that leads to desolation is then revealed, what takes place then? Yeshua warns them, flee the city. Go to the hills. And he says, pray that it not be on Shabbat. Pray it not be in winter. Why? Because if it's ice or snow, it's difficult to travel. You won't be taking main transportation. Can you imagine the gridlock? And it, pray that it will not be on Shabbat. Why? Because everything shuts down. So is he warning those Christians they are attending their churches throughout the world 
on a Sunday that they now need to buy a ticket and go to Jerusalem so they can flee? Absolutely not. And that's where these people, like Augustine and others, who have replaced Israel as the apple of God's eye, that's where it begins. And we are warned not to inject ourselves in the word of God where it's not our place to be injected in. To know, to think, to reason what the scripture says. Because God's word is yes, true, and amen. And I don't care how many uh, degrees you have behind your name, if you're not able to interpret the scripture by the Ruach HaKodesh who leads you into all truth, you still can be deceived if you lean upon your own education. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And so this is what it says here in Matthew 24, 42. So when you see the abomination that causes desolation spoken through the prophet Daniel, the prophet standing in the holy place, that's referring to the anti-Messiah, the Antichrist. Let the reader understand so that now we're dealing with the context in the right in the middle of the tribulation. This is after three and a half years. And Yeshua is speaking to whom? His own Jewish people in that time period and telling them what to do. As we look at Matthew 24, 16, it becomes now obvious that it will be a time for those in Eden Prairie. Absolutely not. The scriptures doesn't say Eden Prairie. doesn't say Minneapolis. doesn't say Chicago. It says this. It will be a time for those in Yehuda, Judah, on who's presently in Yehuda, Judah, but the Jewish people. 1948, May, Israel became a nation again. What does the scripture say? When you see the budding of the fig tree, know this, that, gener that generation shall not pass without his appearing and coming in its proper order. Praise be to God. So, Matthew 24, 16 says this, that will be for those, a time for those in Yehuda, Judah, to what? To escape to the mountains. So a specific audience is being addressed here. Because Yeshua knew that his Talmudine had no comprehension that there would be Gentiles grafted into the commonwealth of Israel as believers. If you look at scripture, what does it say? What tree, you people of the nations, what tree are you grafted into? The natural olive tree, not the fig tree. You cannot plant a fig tree 
and expect, expect to get olives. See, God's covenant with Israel as a nation, which Augustine says it was no longer in existence. God says that he's dealing with Israel. And that's why in Romans, it speaks that one day of the two-thirds that were die, that's from Zechariah 12. God put these together. In Romans chapter 11, it says that in that day, because two-thirds have already been destroyed, but the anti-Messiah has put them to death because they put their trust in him, a false Messiah. And so with this, we see that in Romans chapter 11 speaks this, that in that day, one-third that are left, his holy remnant, that the Lord takes care of in the city of Petra. In that day, all of Israel will be saved. When they look upon him who is pierced, why? Because they've already gone through the tribulation up to a point. And they cry out those words, Baruch Abishem Adonai. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they see him whose hands and feet are pierced. And what do they do? They see him as a son that is, has died. And conviction comes upon their heart. True repentance of recognizing Yeshua for who he is. Yeshua said there's only one way to the Father. And it's in and through him. The bridge that he's built for all people. To the Jew first and to the nations. Praise be to God. It's time to end the portion of this message right now. Thank you for your time.